Hey everybody, today's guest is Sean Stern, guitarist and lead vocalist for the Los Angeles, California punk rock band, Youth Brigade. Together, we take a deep dive into the writing, recording, and inspiration behind the fan favorite song, I Hate My Life, taken from their 1996 album, To Sell the Truth. Sean mentioned that the lyrics in many ways are autobiographical, at least the first half of the song, while the last half leaves the listener with the hope of seeing the good through the bad, the thought that someone always has it worse. So be thankful for what you have. We both had fun regaling stories about producer Steve Kravak, whom I've worked with a number of times with Less Than Jake. And I even listed some Kravak-isms, as I call them, those moments within I Hate My Life that have Steve's fingerprints all over them. Sean's list of accomplishments outside of Youth Brigade are impressive, too, co-founding both BYO Records and the highly successful annual festival, Punk Rock Bowling. So for all this and a ton more, lace up those Doc Martens, and I'll see you in the pit. This is a good one. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, Sean, how's it going? It's going well. How's it going with you? Going very well. Are you in Vegas right now? No, I uh, live in Venice Beach, about a block from the beach in California. Well, I assumed uh, you were possibly in Vegas, of course, because Sean and your brother Mark, I believe, started the Punk Rock Bowling Festival back in 1999. It still goes on in Vegas. Is that correct? It is correct. Yes, we started together. It was a party that we set up for our friends in bands and uh, record labels, fanzines, whatever. And it just sort of grew. And then in 2010, we had the possibility to make it into a festival. So we did. And eventually the next year we moved downtown Las Vegas and we've been there ever since. Awesome. Well, it is the definitive punk rock festival. And the reason I, I asked if that was correct, I didn't know if it was your brother Adam or Mark, but because, of course, uh, Adam, uh, the bass player of Youth Brigade, and Mark on the drums, and, of course, Sean, who we're talking to today on vocals and guitar, started the band back in 1980. And, you know, you precede my band by, by more than 10 years. And it's just, I marvel at, when I talk to the older punkers, it's like, I know what it I, I mean, I wasn't there firsthand. I was too young, but it was dangerous. Punk rock was dangerous in the late 70s, early 80s. And it was just such a such a different thing than what it became. Yeah, I mean, it was a very small scene in Los Angeles. Before even Youth Brigade started, Mark and I were going up to Hollywood in 1978. And the summer of 78 was the year that Generation X's album came out and had the song 100 Punks on it. And that pretty much describe the LA punk scene at the time uh, up in Hollywood around the Canterbury and the mask there was about 100 punks and uh, and it was a crazy time we were we were still in high school and most of the people involved in that early scene were older and there was a lot of craziness just walking down the street with you know your hair spiked up wearing leather jackets and chains and all that sort of stuff you would get screamed at you would get things thrown at you would people would want to start a fight so it was a little crazy, yeah. And then it got actually crazier as the scene grew because then people started getting aggressive with each other over stupid territoriality bullshit. And, right. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure you've seen in the videos 
from shows in the late 70s and early 80s as the punk scene was growing here in Southern California, the, there were fights and a lot of aggression. And people, young, as I always like to call it, young men with a lot of testosterone and uh, if they weren't releasing it in a peaceful, happy, loving manner, they were beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> exactly. And what was the allure uh, for you for punk rock? What, what drew you in? You know, when I was a senior in high school, I took an existential literature class and a class on Herman Hesse. And so I was reading a lot of philosophy and existentialism, some mystical stuff. And I was sort of growing up in that post-hippie era where I was a little bit too young to take part in it. And so all that was really left in the mid to late 70s for me was the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, which I have nothing against sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But, you know, when I was younger and when the hippies were making that initial push and, and all the statements of fighting the war and fighting for the environment, that's what I thought the music was amazing and the philosophy was amazing. And then by the time I was old enough to participate, there wasn't much of that left. So I read an article by Robert Hilburn, the big LA Times critic about the Sex Pistols. I heard uh, Elvis Costello, My Aim is True, played in its entirety on the local rock station, rock radio station. And those two things, along with the stuff I'd been reading about um, on bands and with philosophy, just made me think, this is, you know, I was playing in a band with my brother, with Mark and another friend of ours from school, um, doing cover songs of the things that I really like, Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith, you know, the music that we'd grown up in from the early to mid to late 70s. Um, and when I started reading about and listening to punk rock, um, I said, I'm not going to do cover songs anymore. I want to write my own stuff. And yeah, because it's, it said something to me, you know, it said, hey, you can pick up a guitar and play music and express yourself, you know, express the things that, that you're frustrated about that that you want to see change um, and hopefully inspire people. So those musicians inspired me and to get pick up the guitar and start playing and start a band and write songs. And uh, hopefully I've been able to do that for other people throughout these 40 plus years that I've been doing this. Well, you definitely have. And, you know, I've, I want to extend my thanks to you. I've had Gurowitz and Baker from Bad Religion on the show. I've had Bill Stevenson uh, uh, from Descendants on the show and some of the guys, again, that preceded my band. And I'm extending that thanks to you. You guys blazed the trail. I mean, you were out there playing every dive club, every VFW, every basement show. You know, you, you laid the blueprint for bands like mine that came along a decade later because without it, I don't, I don't know what it would have been like. Yeah, I mean, people ask me often, what were you thinking when you did this? Was there a plan? And I, you know, there was no plan. We, you know, this is <laughs> DIY. We, we just sort of made it up as we went along. We didn't know how to make a record, so we would just ask. And there was no internet then. Um, there were no cell phones then. When I booked the, the tour for the Another State of Mind tour in um, 1982, I, I, I basically used the... People, some young people today may not know this, but there used to be this book called The Yellow Pages and The White Pages, the phone book. Um, you would just look up phone numbers there, and I would just try to find the, the cool record st store in that town that, you know, as I made, I went across a, a big map on the wall, because that's how we did it in those days, putting little pins 
connecting city to city, yeah. trying to figure out how far it was, looking at atlases, trying to measure the distances out. I would just look for a record store. I would usually start with a university because more likely than not, there were kids at the university who would be into this type of music. And there were usually, hopefully, a, a local college radio station that was playing this kind of music. And so I'd reach out to that and try to just, I'd cold call. Hey, um, we're a band from L.A. We're coming out there. And uh, we're looking for places to play. Do you know any? Is there a record store? Is there a, a, a you know a local bar, a venue that you'd recommend? Are there cool bands there that you might want to recommend and give us contacts? And that's how it all started. That that was the networking that started DIY. You know, eventually Maximum Rock and Roll started taking this knowledge that all these bands got and made that Bible. And you know, which was a great thing. It was a great. It, it, it was a great service to all the bands and you know that's what everybody used sure well your guys story is great again uh, you know 1980 such a long time ago you were right there on the on the cusp of of, of punk rock's beginnings uh you started your own record label in 82 called byo records uh released a record in 82 uh, released another one in 83 that uh only kept a couple songs from the first record, did some re-records, I guess. And then in 86, I did not know this, that you guys were just known as the Brigade then. I was just considered a Youth Brigade record, the dividing line. Uh, that's because I believe that Adam had left. Is that correct? Yeah, Adam left. And, you know, it was the time when bands like U2 and some of these English bands that were considered punk originally and they were branching out. A lot of these bands were getting big and famous. And I guess... You know, it wasn't just us. I mean, TSOL, Jack left, mm -hmm. and Joe Wood came in. Uh, Adolescence put out that record that was more, you know, what, what shall we say? More commercial, more pop. I don't know how you'd call it. Seven Seconds did New Wind. I mean, everybody was sort of... What happens is a lot of times is that you start getting better as a musician and expanding your horizons and... Uh, you start writing songs that are maybe a little bit different, and that's what we did. And it was fun to do it. It wasn't Youth Brigade. Well, it's it's interesting because after that, you released a record in '94, and then your final record came out in 1996, uh, called "To Sell the Truth," and uh, that's the song that we're talking about today is from that record. I hate my life, and I don't know if you recall. It was around this time. Less than Jake did a show with you guys. I want to say it was in Jacksonville. We got thrown on the bill, and none of us talked to you. We were we were afraid. It was like you guys were like the elder statesman at that point. It's like, oh, we can't talk to the band. But you know, I had become I obviously had heard of you before then. Played with you guys then, and I I have to ask. Ninety six was the last time you guys put a record because around ninety nine the punk rock bowling thing started happening. So is that kind of where your focus went from that point? I know the band kept touring all these years, but as far as making new music, was that just not a priority? Well, we, we did re release a split with Swing and Utters. Um, I think it was in 99. So that was half, half us and half them, and that was all new stuff. But yeah, I mean, you know, you get spread pretty thin when you're playing in a band and trying to tour and at the same time trying to run a record label. Um, on a shoestring budget and then punk rock bowling didn't take up a lot of our time those first 10 12 years really when it became a festival in 2010 is when it really started becoming a business before that it was just a party that you know one weekend of the year it didn't take a lot of planning for us so that didn't take up time it it was just that sort of transition time of the late 90s through the early 2000s of the digital 
you know, revolution, you could call it, where basically record labels were becoming obsolete. The idea of, of making a record and pressing up vinyl or making a CD and selling it through stores, um, that was going by the wayside, you know? And yeah. so that sort of happened as punk rock bowling was starting to become more and more of a focus. Um, and Youth Brigade just, you know, Adam came back and then he left and he came back. Um, it, it was just always this sort of part-time thing because we were so busy with other stuff. And, and Adam got busy working. He, he works doing 3D rendering for movies. I mean, he studied graphics, all art and fine art. It's a bit fascinating to me that, you know, your last record you put out and this song, I Hate My Life, this is, you know, one of your arguably most popular fan favorite songs, this tune. Typically, it's like, it's one of your first records, you know, I like their early stuff, you know, something like Fight to Unite or something. Yeah, you know, but this was a, a later career song, which it's an old song now, but uh, it was the, one of the last things you guys released, and here it is, your your fan favorite song, and of course, combing through this song the past couple of days, I've had it on repeat a bunch, and watched a bunch of live videos, and when you guys play this, the audience goes mad. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's it's up there as a sing-along song, along with Cinco California, for sure. Yeah. You know, I think we're still capable of writing good, fun, punk rock songs, because that's that's what we cut our teeth on. We were there early on, and uh, that's the music we love. We still love, and uh, you know. But the important thing for me as a as a singer um, is that the vocals always have to be the lead instrument. That's the most important thing. You know, the human voice yeah. is, is unique. Um, you can't reproduce. I mean, people try to reproduce it with computers, and that's you know, that's another thing we could discuss. But. I, I'm still gonna always be old school that you play guitars and drums and um, and a bass and you know if you have keyboards, but you, you have to learn to play your instrument and and the voice is an instrument too. And no amount for me of putting it through any computer or any of those devices that so many people do to hide the fact that they can't sing and they can't they can't hold <laughs> it, they can't sing in key um, is gonna make that change for me. It, it's always gonna be the most important thing because. You don't normally sing along to a song to the guitar or the drums or the bass. You sing along to yep. the vo vocals. And what the message that's relayed in a song is almost always through the vocals and through the words. So, therefore, it's the lead. That's that's the focus of the song. I've I've always said that. I always said that's why I think that rap, hip hop, and, and punk rock have such a kinship. It's all about the vocal yeah. a lot of the times. You know, the the rest of it's kind of this this stuff that's kind of uh, off to the side. You know. This song, I love this track, and there's a couple other things I want to talk about before we jump into it. Johnny Two Bags from Social Distortion played on this record, which I think is really cool. Johnny Johnny's a friend, and he's he's awesome. And the album was produced by Steve Kravak, who's also produced a Less Than Jake record, as well as MXPX and Pepper. So I gotta ask, Steve's Canadian. I know you guys moved from Canada like around 1970 to the states. Uh, did did that come into play with Steve, or he just? Uh, you know, you, you kind of ran across him another way. Well, I mean, it came into play, but of course we didn't know him uh, when we moved to the States in 1970. I don't think he was born yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't mean like that. I meant, I meant, I meant later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, 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 as I recall, we met him in, in Canada, but he was living in Montreal for a long time, and then he moved to Vancouver. I don't remember where we met him. It could have been in Montreal. It could have been in Vancouver. I know that we hung out with him in New York when we were on tour at one point, but uh, 
Yeah, he eventually moved here. We worked with him on a bunch of stuff. We also had him working with a bunch of bands on BYO too. You know, he's he's a very uh, strict taskmaster when it comes to the studio. It, recording vocals with him is something I'd never experienced before, and it it started to lose my focus because he he's you know he's very much don't worry, sing the song. I'll just punch in a bunch of stuff. Okay, this this line's good, but that line's not as strong. So let's do it again. Take it from the top. All right, go. <laughs> now that line's great, but the one before it is not as good. So we're going to have to redo that again. And cutting you and cutting you and cutting you to the point where you're like, I don't even know where I'm singing anymore. I I need to take a break. I, I'm, I'm used to just singing the song through. And, you know, maybe you screw up a line or two, you punch that in. But it was just it was like a jigsaw puzzle. It was crazy. Oh, yeah. I, I was a whipping boy in the studio for Steve with the vocals, for sure. I'm, I'm right there with you. If you're listening, Steve, I, I love you. But, yeah, he he is, uh, once he gets it under the microscope, it, it, it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty brutal. Yeah, but he does get results, so I, I will give him that. It, it sounds he, great. He does. Yeah. He does. And the record was mixed by a longtime friend. You'd worked with Tom Wilson yeah. uh, prior to this. And Tom, of course, has worked with The Offspring, Face to Face, Bouncing Souls. And uh, I think the track sounds great. It's 2 minutes and 48 eight seconds uh there's two bars of drums that are played on the kick tom and snare on the third bar a single guitar panned off right comes in with the vocals playing like these three chord stabs on the first three lines woke up hung locked on the bricks don't know where the hell i am who's thinking next to me what did i do i gotta be can't work over Woke up hung like a ton of bricks. Don't know where the hell I am. Who's naked next to me? What did I do? I've got to pee. Can't work or go to school today. Can't remember if I do that anyway. Got some money. Got no clue. The world's a mess. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're in a band, you tour a lot. It's just the nature of the business, I guess, that you're out drinking every night and you're waking up sometimes and you don't know where you are or who's next to you and uh first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is you gotta pee so that's pretty much <laughs> do you my life do you recall writing the song and what was the, what was the reason behind it were you like hey i, I got these lyrics uh, in, in a notepad or you know I'm, I, you woke up one day and said i want to write a song called i hate my life or how did it transpire do you, do you remember no i don't remember exactly but i the way i write is you know, I'll come up with an idea in my head. Maybe it's a line, maybe it's a sentence, maybe it's a few sentences. I'll write them down. And then when we start working, uh, writing songs, you know, sometimes I'll do it by myself. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting process, but usually I'll come up with verse, chorus, some words. Sometimes I come up with the music first and then start just sort of humming through it, you know, vocalizing while we're playing with no specific words. Sometimes I'll throw in a specific word and that'll give me an idea. Sometimes I'll have nothing and I'll just sit down and go, oh yeah, I wrote these few lines. This is good. And I'll just start writing and writing and crossing out and, you know, and sometimes it'll just come to you and you just go, boom, wow, I wrote it. Yeah. It, there's no, for, for me, it's never a rhyme or a reason. It just sort of happens. I gotcha. Do you typically cut demos and did you cut a demo for this? Nah, we don't normally do that. We we run everything in, in rehearsal. There's times when we go in the studio and still have songs that are just sort of an idea. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, we, and we put it together in the studio. As it got more and more, uh, you know, as we got older and we were getting more and more used to this, 
Um, we would pretty well have stuff done by the time we got to the studio. Or, you know, but there's there's times where I would sing a song for the first time in the studio. Yeah, that's what you did sometimes. You just, yeah, off the cuff. And sometimes that turned out to be the best stuff. Yeah, it can. You know, you get really excited about it. Sometimes when you do something over and over again, it just, it's not as fun. Do you remember when you got in the studio to do this particular song? Did did Steve have uh, a lot of suggestions? Was he really involved in that aspect? Or was he really just there to be an engineer and, and push record and get sounds? Honestly, I, I, I'm not going to be able to tell you that I remember this specific um, but I can tell you that Steve comes in as an engineer, but he's always a producer. He's always thinking, you know, he's a musician, which is why I like work. Yeah. So, you know, and he'll always give you suggestions. And if you say, nah, nah, this is the way I like it, then he'll be fine with it. And if he, if he gives you an idea that makes you say, yeah, that's a cool idea. I didn't really think about that. And we'll give it a try. You know, I'm always open to trying stuff, especially when songs are not completely fleshed out. That works a lot where he'll, you know, either he or Mark or Adam or someone will throw in an idea and, and we'll just sort of play with it for a while. Well, the reason I ask is that I hear some cravac-isms in this song yeah. that we're going to get to as we co- as we comb through it. Some things that I'm like, hey, maybe Steve uh, uh, put, you know, maybe had a hand in, in getting the band to, uh, to to do this part. And uh, not that it's a bad thing. I think I think it, I think it's really cool. But uh, St- Steve had a way of doing that. You mentioned, you know, he is a musician. So even though he's in in there under the guise of I'm just the guy pushing the buttons here, he he actually is producing as he goes through. Some cool stuff in this first verse. After the line, I've got a pee. That's when the full band comes in, bass and drums. Uh, some cool drum hits happen at this time, at this turnaround on the second half of verse one. And that is kind of like a running theme, that little turnaround that, that you do. It happens like four times in the song. I call it a hook within a song that you typically wouldn't think is like a vocal hook or a guitar hook, but sometimes the rhythmic pattern in the song can be just that. Yeah, I mean, that's Mark. He has a very unique style that uh, definitely was, I don't know if I'd say signature, but it was important to the sound of the band. And, you know, Steve definitely could have an influence on those types of things. I don't remember specifically about this, but I'm pretty sure when we went in the studio, this song was pretty well written and i think we'd even been playing it on the road a bit i'm glad you said that because i meant to ask you earlier it slipped my mind you know we used to do that back in the day you know there was, it wasn't going to get on the internet the next day in two seconds you could go out and play a song and then decide to maybe add an extra verse or something you went to record it because the other version <laughs> wasn't out there yet but i was going to ask you so you you, you kind of remember playing it maybe before you recorded it yeah i mean we try to it, it's always for me it's always good good to try new songs out and see what the audience reaction is is um, if you can, if you're writing stuff far enough in advance that you're going to record, I, I think it, there's value to that. You know, if you, that's one of the reasons why so many bands, their best record is their first record, is because, well, b- besides the fact it's the very first stuff they wrote, so there's some sort of creative genius going on there. Not always, but often, um, they've also been playing those songs out to people, and it's sort of what they cut their teeth on, and it's what makes them that get that buzz where people are reacting to this. They don't know the band, right? They, they don't have a record out, right? So people are going mm-hmm. to check this band out. They don't know what to expect. And they're growing a following. People are coming to see them again and again and probably saying, when are you going to record a record? When is this going to be on a record? So that to me, you know, having been a, a record company 
uh, guy for all these years and being in the studio with many, many bands. That's why, it, for me, in my opinion, so many bands, that first record is, you know, one of the best, if not the best. We'll be right back with lots more with Sean Stern after a few words from our sponsors. Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! And now, back to the show. Well, uh, halfway through this verse, like I said, the bass, the drums, the stereo guitars are now in, and a regular kick, snare, hi-hat, punk rock beat uh, plays out for the rest of verse one. At the end of the verse, on the world's a mess, you get that rhythmic turnaround again that came in halfway through that takes us into chorus one. I'll tell you, Sean, I'd have you set these up, but I don't know how, what, what it really is to say outside of the lyric is, I hate my life repeated four times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, there there is a certain sarcasm to Youth Brigade. There always has been. Humor to me is always important. Not take life too seriously. I feel that too many people do, especially, you know, today. You look at the craziness that's going on. I, I really feel as though having gone through this pandemic, which is not something any of us have ever done. There's very few people in the world alive today that have gone through a pandemic before. So it was new for almost everybody. And it seems that, I don't know if you've noticed it, but I have noticed people that I know and people that I see did not do well through this, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually, whatever you want to talk about. And, uh, you know, I, I just think, I guess it gets back to my existentialist class in, back in, in 1978, you know, reading Camus, um, who was a big ins- inspiration for me, and some of these other authors, and, and really also Vonnegut and people like that. I was an English lit major, and, and that always is part of when I'm writing as part of the things that influenced me and inspired me um, to sort of think about this sort of all these universal questions are like why are we here what is the what is it that human beings are here for how did we get here where are we going i mean there's i've song titles using these sort of things right so it's always always permeates the 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 words that i write and the and the thoughts behind the music is just these big questions that we will probably never have an answer for at least not in our lifetimes um for me and and you know i don't want to jump to the end but this song is really just about you should be happy about the fact that you're alive and look at the positive. I'm, a, I'm always a, an optimist. I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Even as I get older, it becomes more and more difficult. I just think people need to look at 
the positives in life and and yeah there's a lot of shitty things going on in the world um and yeah we've gone through this pandemic and yeah there's a, a lot of bullshit in this society in this world but the only way it's going to get better is if we try to make it better you know and that's what i always try to carry through the message from youth brigade was always we have to look at the positive things and try to make change and inspire change with other people um you know and that's what this song inevitably is about well that's a great outlook i gotta tell you made me chuckle the first chorus it's 16 seconds in and we're in the chorus yeah that's awesome that's like classic punk rock you're already there might be the quickest sean we've ever gotten to a chorus on my show so (laughs) it's awesome do you remember if the lead vocals are doubled here they sound doubled in the chorus not in the verses could very well be i don't remember but again as we were talking about steve Half the time, you don't even remember how you got to the finished product. So. <laughs> that is so. That is so true. You can't emphasize that enough. I know you and I. I, I know exactly what you're what you're saying there because, yeah, he would. Uh, you know, when Sean said that Steve would punch in back in the day before computers, you literally had to like punch the tape machine, record at the exact spot, and then in order not to record over the next word that you maybe wanted to keep or the next line, you'd have to punch out. You'd have to stop it. And Steve was. Kind Kind of the master of that and this is the first uh cravacism that i came to was these backing vocals here these pads that are saying life that runs throughout the chorus of the song and all the choruses and there's a harmony on those pads well, was that a steve thing or was that something you thought of we were always doing back backing vocals it was a big part of who, our sound um we were really influenced a lot by the by english oi bands like sham 69 and angelic upstarts um, Cockney Rejects, all that sort of stuff. And for sure, Steve knows that, and he was jumping in, and I'm pretty sure some of those high um, backing vocals was actually him because I know that none of my brothers can sing that high. Johnny might have been able to get a few here and there. The high voice sounded like Steve, and it's funny. You know, we got a, a couple of, of, of comparable uh, singers in my band, and Steve was still like, hey, let me put a high harmony there. You know, he was trying to try, try, trying to sneak in. So yeah. <laughs> I, I thought maybe he, he had, a, had a play in that. Well, after chorus one, the chorus progression continues for a four-bar guitar solo, slightly ever so panned off to the right. Is that Johnny uh, Two Bags playing that solo? Yeah, that's Johnny. Yeah, Yeah. it's awesome. And right after that solo, Sean, we get that turnaround, that rhythmic turnaround again that happens up in verse one. We get it out of the solo into verse two. Crashed the car, lost the job. I'm a dirty, smelly, total slob. Lots of sex, little love. Stimulation, no satisfaction. Life is hard, life is stress. Life is such a pain in the ass. Saturday night, and I'm not dressed. How can I go on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it's just sort of back to that consumerism society. This is what you're expected to do, and this is the reality of who you are and what you're doing, and... That pretty much is the punk rock world, right? Oh, I, I got to go out. I got to party. I party so hard. My life's a mess. What am I doing with my life? You know, sort of almost a midlife crisis, I guess you could even look at it. But 
it's just what the expectations are and what the realities are of somebody who's, you know, at that time I was what, 96, I was 36 years old. So, well, I got to tell you what I love is you're obviously well-spoken. You're very smart. You, you, you know, listed off the authors and the things you were into, you know, punk rockers didn't always get the credit that they were educated or that they cared about learning. You know, they were just kind of like the, the Sid Vicious deadbeats and it's not true, but you get guys like Greg Graffin who like, you need a thesaurus to understand some of his lyrics and you, you know, here you are just as well versed and educated and and these are the lyrics which is punk rock as hell and it's great well yeah i mean i i don't speak in professor speak (laughs) because i want to be able to relate to everybody you know i mean you i think you can be intelligent and educated and still be able to relate to people and talk to them on a one-on-one level that everyone can understand but yeah you don't need to be a, a dummy like unfortunately you use the example of sid vicious but yeah and that's what a lot of people thought of punk rock back in the 70s and 80s, for, for sure. Yeah. And uh, especially the places that you guys were going into. It was all run-down parts of the community, the, the, wor- the worst places you could be. Well, verse 2 is musically the same as the second half of verse 1, meaning the full band is in. And at the end of verse 2, we get that rhythmic turnaround again into chorus 2, which is, I hate my life, said now eight times. It's a double chorus here with those same backing vocals uh, as the first chorus here. What I love about Chorus 2 is you don't get that turnaround out of Chorus 2. I really like that. Do you recall ever having that conversation? Maybe we should put the turnaround here. I don't recall exactly, but I'm pretty sure that that a lot of that was Mark because, you know, it's a rhythmic thing. So we would have definitely had a conversation and, you know, we always like to throw in a wrench and not just, you, you, you can't just keep doing verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Let's do a little bridge, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. It gets boring, you know? So you want to yeah. mix it up and have some fun with it. You don't want to be doing what's expected. I mean, I don't know if you ever studied music theory, but that's, you know, music is math, right? I was having this mm-hmm. conversation with my father yesterday, you know? And it's just, yeah, that's what it is. Music is math at the end of the day. And uh, I mean, of course, these days it isn't anymore, right? Because now people are making <laughs> music on computers, so they don't know the first thing about writing music or theory or anything right i I watch some of the some of these artists now and i don't really understand i'm all where's the hook where's the chorus i mean it's the same thing over and over and over again i'm waiting for something to happen and it doesn't especially when i watch saturday night live jesus christ how are these bands on saturday night live who the fuck i don't know who they are i'm old i get that but why is this good? There's nothing good here. I'm not watching good music, you know? Ugh, bores me. <laughs> That's going to be the sound clip we use for the ads for the show. That was perfect. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> um, uh, verse 3. Woke up hung like a ton of bricks. Don't know where the hell I am. Who's naked next to me? What did I do? I've got to pee. Can't work or go to school today. Can't remember if I do that anyway. 
Got money, got no clue. The world's a mess. And typically I'll just say, hey, you know, if the lyrics are the same as another part in the song, I'll just say, hey, these were the same. The reason I read them out is there's one word that was left out instead of got some money from verse one. It's just got money. Was that just the way you sang at that pass and it just happened to make it on the record? Probably. <laughs> Honestly, don't remember, but I, it could have been where I thought, oh, I'm, I, I was remembering when I was a bit uh, less secure in my life when I was in my 20s. You know, and I was having to do jobs in between, you know, just to pay the bills and stuff. And by the time I'm in my 30s, I'm doing a little bit better. And I'm, you know, I'm making money playing music, which is great. And not having to worry so much in between tours if I was be able to pay the rent. So at, by that point, I, I had money. So, yeah. Well, I, I always ask those questions. And again, this song's almost going on 30 years old. How are you going to remember that? But that's what intrigues me about this. And, and when I get it under the microscope here, I'm looking at all the words. And, Why didn't he say some there? <laughs> sometimes people have a, a, a perfectly good answer. And sometimes they don't. And sometimes when they don't, it's just as good as if they do have an answer yeah. for it. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, well, the drums go back to the re-intro feel with the kick, snare, and tom. And the first guitar stab out of chorus two is in stereo. But when the verse comes in, the following two are panned off right with one guitar, just like verse one. And then halfway through, we get uh, the whole band in. Chorus three, again, is I hate my life, said eight times. Then, at a minute and 23 seconds of the song, so we still have a, about a minute and 23 seconds left, so we're only halfway through the song, and we're in the mosh part, I'm calling it, that basically lasts the rest of the song, but it takes you on a really cool journey. I always love punk rock songs like that, and I've, I've tried to write a couple of them uh, in my time, where it's just like, it's almost like two songs in one. And uh, I love this part. I, I'm calling it the classic mosh part. It's four bars of music, and the band goes halftime. Stereo guitars, bass and drums, and there's this track of guitar feedback. And this progression continues uh, under the vocals for the rest of the song. And the lyric is, your life's so bad, let them take it. Take it all away. line your life's so bad it sounds like there's a couple like it's not like a gang vocal but it's more like a bunch of vocals in unison on that part is that what you did there and there's no harmony on it yeah i'm sure that's what we did i mean it sounds like it i don't i don't remember exactly but you know knowing steve yes it, it was rare mm -hmm. that he would leave anything just a one single voice out in the wilderness by itself it's just not steve's way of doing stuff 
Well, the next part I'm calling the outro because we never go back to the I hate my life part. And at first when I'm, you know, again, looking at this on paper, I'm saying, why didn't it go back to that? It's like it didn't need to. You've already heard the chorus three times and, and chorus two and chorus three were double choruses. You know, it, it got that point across. The lyrics here at the end, and it basically repeats till the end of the song. Complain, complain. Life sucks anyway. If it's all so hard, let them take it all away. Why the competition? Why stress to death? Be happy with what you have. Most have so much less. I hope one day we realize how good it really is. Yeah, I may hate my life at times, but I always try to live. I got to tell you, you already touched on it, Sean, when you said, you know, talking about today and, you know, trying to make the best of it. I love this wrap up of this song because those lyrics are kind of in stark contrast. The rest of it, you know, you could even say it's a little silly at times. And this kind of reeled it all in. And man, this is uh, about as poetic as you can get for for the times right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I like to say that, you know, some of the stuff that I've written as far back as the early 80s is still so relevant today. As I said before, people always ask me, you know, did you have a plan? Are you looking forward? I don't think most people, when they're creating their art, are thinking, oh, this is going to be so relevant to what's going on in 30 years, because how are you ever going to know? You write about the things that are happening to you that affect you at the time. And I always try to look at them in a more universal perspective. And, you know, it's always good to be able to tell, you know, because really what what music is, what film is, what what writing books and novels and, you know, journal articles, all that sort of stuff. What all of this is, is telling stories. That's what humans do. They tell stories. And it's it's tried and true throughout history is storytelling to convey bigger ideas about how this adventure, this story about this specific person can be relayed universally, right? To, to the rest of humanity, hopefully, that people can learn from the things that we do, that people can relate, that you can have an understanding that even though I'm living here in California, that hopefully somebody, you know, living halfway across the world in a different country in a different culture can still relate to the things that I'm talking about, which is, yeah, life is tough. And here in America, you know, sure, it's tough, but consider what's going on in some countries where you don't wake up every day knowing if you're going to get something to eat or you're going to have a safe place to sleep. Um, you know, so this is what I'm always thinking about, and it always inspires what I'm writing. And, uh, you know, even when I'm being silly, I'm always going to try and bring it back to seriousness 
Um, I, I think people should be able to laugh and enjoy life, but at the same time, be understanding that you only have one life. Try to make the best of it. Try to help other people, inspire other people um, to carry on these ideas and these ideals and make the world a better place. That's really all you can do is make the world a better place, you know, however that may be for you. That's awesome. Well, another thing that sounded kind of Steve-ish here, <laughs> Steve Kravak was the bridge refrain, the vocal. Your life's so bad, let them take it, take it all away. It continues to run under this lead vocal for the rest of the song. Was was that Steve's idea or something that you came up with? Nah, that's that's pretty much me. I mean, I, I came up with all this, this vocal because I sing it all, and then we started having the other guys jump in and take some of it because I can't sing everything. But probably a lot of it is me. And it's I'm sure... If all the double ups and stuff like that, um, especially anything that's sort of more chanted is going to be gang vocal is always going to be my brothers and Steve. And then when Johnny was in the band, you know, now we have another Johnny in the band who who's a great singer, too, um, who, who sounds like me so much that it's kind of scary. But it's great because, you know, I can't sing uh, as much as quick, as strong as I used to. Um, so it's great to have him in the band and be able to do the back to help with the backups and stuff. Yeah, that's that that's great. Well, uh, when this complain complain lyric comes in, this outro I'm calling it, the stereo guitars open up a bit here. The drums go to the crash cymbal. It's no longer that tight hi hat that was in the mosh part. The feedback from the overdub guitar is running until the end of the song. The vocal hook from the bridge, uh, once again, that's lying underneath this whole lead vocal until the end of the song, and it's that same backing vocal hook. It's the same notes except bad the word bad so when you're saying uh your life so bad in the uh bridge it's your life so bad it goes up when it's underneath the leaf i love that note change it's awesome i just like to always mess around with the stuff and so if if especially when you do the gang stuff because i'm i'm able to try mess around with it i'm always going to try and do something to make it a little because I, I know that not everybody notices these things, but I know that musicians always do. It's it's like when you go yeah. to when you go see a band play, right? When the band screws up, ninety nine percent of the people don't see it, but you see it. You know it. Sure. You, you notice oh, yeah. it. You're like, oops, <laughs> oops, missed that one. Yep. I know, and I noticed that note go up. I'm like, that's cool, you know, because otherwise it's just the same thing repeating, which would have been cool, but this adds that just that one note. I love it. Uh, the second time that the complain, complain uh, refrain, that whole lyric happens, the music begins to fade out here. And, you know, St uh, Steve Kravak didn't invent the fade, but I know he's a fan of it. Oh, yeah. That was the last thing I had to ask. Did, did, did Steve? you want to do the fade or did you guys oh it was it was all of us we all came you know we loved that idea and then you know and then it'll come back i don't know what's something like a minute and a half later where nobody's expecting it yeah if you leave the song on you know why is it quiet for so long and you're working and then all of a sudden boom and what the hell and then we threw on the end too we, we did a cover of that smith song which comes in like i don't know 10 minutes later <laughs> yeah if you're on a cd and you and you're just you're not getting up to change it or anything, and then it's just like what people didn't know. We didn't we didn't say anything about it. We hit it at the end. Yeah, that that was the the thing to do in the '90s, which is great. One, well, and that's what, the last thing I wanted to ask you, Sean, was this is the last song on the record out of 14. Is that because it was a fade out? It's like what what else you get? You're not going to put it in the middle of the record, right? 
It was always important when we were sequencing records, whether it was ours or some other bands, you always want to kick it off with one of your best songs. You always want to end it with one of your best songs because those are the two things that people are going to remember, right? The beginning and the end. You know, all the stuff in the middle is important too, but you want to you want to kick it's just like when you're making a set list. You want to come in there and smack them in the face, you know, boom get people excited and you got to end with a big classic and, you know, a really good song that was for us, you know, that was a strong song and we knew that it worked well on the end. That's awesome. Well, listen, I want to thank you for sitting in today and, you know, congratulations on all your continued success with the band and outside of the band. And is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with before we break? Uh, you know, first I just want to say thanks for the opportunity to, uh, to let everybody hear what I have to say music wise and talking wise about it. Um, and I just, you know, I always say I'm, I'm super appreciative, um, to everybody who's supported us all these years. We, uh, we couldn't do this without people coming out and supporting us. There's, there'd be no reason to do this. And the fact that, uh, I've been able to play music and earn a living doing something I love and hopefully inspiring people, it, you know, I've been doing this for over 40 years. It still amazes me that, that I'm so lucky to be able to do that. That's great. Well, uh, again, best of luck out there, and thank you so much. Oh, uh, thank you. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Sean Stern, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with lots more Chris to Make Some Podcast after a few words from our sponsors. Hi, this is Paul Phelps. And this is Monica Strutt. And we're from the Daily Music Business Podcast. We're joined by a number of other really great hosts in creating daily content with great advice for independent musicians just like you. That's right. We put out episodes daily on all topics from music marketing to branding, advice on signing with a manager and label and anything else you need to up-level the business side of your music career. We've got it covered. Subscribe to the Daily Music Business Podcast today on your favorite podcast catcher. Subscribe today to the Daily Music Business Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Point Blank, a hardcore punk band from New York City consisting of Ken Wagner on vocals, Dan Perella on guitar, who was a founding member of New York hardcore legends Underdog, Chris Capella on bass, and Nate Ward on the drums. Their latest album is called We Will Rise Again. Here's a snippet of their song, Memories. Rap with Chris and Chris. So, Chris, I got to tell you, when you guys were <laughs> when you guys were recording, I was thinking to myself, man, I hope Sean doesn't find out that Chris and I both record on computers and in Pro Tools. <laughs> 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 he might not be too happy about that. 
<laughs> no, it's it it it's funny. It's everything he was saying though is is so true. We've talked about it before where you can just stifle a performance if you produce it too much if you fix it too much you take away that human quality yeah you're talking about somebody who came from the beginnings of punk rock yeah they're not going to be into the uh auto-tune and and whatever else too much but uh you know i think i've heard you say this on podcasts before chris if you use the technology as a sort of instrument or as a tool it's awesome but if you use it as a crutch not so awesome. It actually sucks if you use it that way. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's it's funny. I think for a certain type of music, EDM, electronica, um, you know, maybe certain types of pop music, it, it's fine to be cookie cutter and it's fine to be regimented and everything perfect and in tune. But when you're recording a track like I Hate My Life, it's just, it's, it's going to suck every bit of emotion out of it. Right. And I've thought about this on other episodes where we've had old school punk rock artists on, but the amount of (laughs) networking and cold calling and researching that you would have to do to book a tour back in the day. That's, it just seems insane to me. I understand how we did it in the nineties, but how Sean and these guys were doing it, how bad religion and descendants and all these bands, this was before a lot of the resources that we had, you know, we had book your own fucking life in the nineties, which was a magazine. I think that might've been a subsidiary of something to do with maximum rock and roll. I could be wrong on that, but I think you're right. You'd look in the back of it and be like, Oh, we're in Austin, Texas. I need a place to stay tonight. You'd call the number in there and you, you had some tools to help you. And again, these guys, they were the blueprint. They paved the way for all the bands that came later to do this. So you kind of already knew what venues in town supported punk rock shows. Back then, you, these guys were all flying by the seat of their pants. It's funny that by the time my band was ready to tour, it was like 99, 2000 or so when we started doing a little bit of like out-of-state shows and everything. And the fact that we had a website, we were a little bit ahead of the curve on having a website. We connected with other bands that had websites. We would yeah. email each other and, tr- and trade shows. And that was a big step in being able to, to do this. I can't imagine before that you'd have to pick up the phone and call somebody, uh, which that's wild. I mean, and speaking of touring, you know, when it comes to this song, man, I've done a lot of touring in my day. You've done a lot of touring in your day. And that thing about partying all night and getting up hungover and having to drive and play another show definitely doesn't work for me now. And it didn't even work for me then. (laughs) It would happen once in a while. I remember a few times it would happen, but man, oh man, that has never been something that I could maintain. No, it's a young man's game for sure. And if you continue like that, you will burn out. I've seen it. I don't care uh, who you are. You just, uh, uh, father time is is cruel sometimes, Chris. (laughs) I mean, Father Time must have been cruel to me when I was 20 years old, too, because even back then, I couldn't really handle that. Um, Chris, I was laughing, too. I was thinking to myself, what bands on Saturday Night Live was Sean talking about that are this bad? So I looked at the, I looked at the last couple of years. I didn't look at like the pop. Like, okay, pop is a whole different thing. There's been a lot of pop artists on there. But the bands that have played the last couple of years... He's either talking about Coldplay, Japanese Breakfast, Arcade Fire, LCD Sound System, Bleachers, The Foo Fighters, or Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. (laughs) Either way, I'm like, who is he talking about that's this bad on Saturday Night Live? I just thought that was funny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I noticed he was kind of going off about that. Yeah, and I'll fully admit, I'm just really not uh, a follower of SNL. I haven't watched it in a long time. So he kind (laughs) of lost me there. 
I just wondered who who he had seen. I'm just so curious as to who he tuned into and saw on there. I don't know. Yeah, there's been some bad people on Saturday Night Live, no doubt. But most of the time, I think they're all right. Anyway, uh, one more thing I would ask you about this. Of course, punk rock bowling is something I hear about, heard about for years. I've never got to go to it. I have some friends that live in Vegas now. Um, Have you ever gone to it or played at it? No, we, we haven't played at it, uh, oddly enough. I've uh, never been to it, but our fans request every year. And when we got done talking off to the side tonight, I, I, I said to Sean, I said, hey, you know, Les and Jake would be honored honored to play it, and, and hopefully we can someday. It's, it's a great festival. It's the who's who of punk rock, and it's done really well. It sounds really cool. I mean, it's really awesome when people can establish something like that that makes it like a reason to go to that destination. Like as if as if Vegas, I mean, depending on what you're into and <laughs> what you think is fun, uh, I think Vegas, just adding that element to going to Vegas would be really awesome. I'd really like to go to that sometime. And I think it was a real honor to have someone who, like you said, kind of blazed the trail for our bands, for thousands upon thousands of bands to do what we do within the world of punk rock. I think that's really awesome, man. For sure. And if they wouldn't have blazed that trail, Chris, we probably wouldn't be talking to each other about our VIP program, the supporting (laughs) cast program. You can find it at chrisdemakes.com. You can sign up. And for the price of... The price of, I don't know, an apple juice at the Cracker Barrel. You can get bonus episodes. (laughs) An apple juice at the Cracker Barrel. Yeah, it's about, I don't know, it's it's probably close to five bucks for an apple juice at Cracker Barrel these days with inflation. I don't know. Jeez, what Cracker Barrel? What ritzy Cracker Barrel are you going to? Be- I'm exclusively I the Beverly Hills one, Chris. But hey, okay. enough of that. Kristamakes.com. And uh, yeah, join the supporting cast. You'll support the podcast you know and love. And it means a lot to Chris and I. And please join our Facebook group, the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. We'd love to have you. And while you're at it, give me a follow on Instagram at less than Chris D. And want to thank this week's guest, Sean Stern, for sitting with us. And we'll see you next week. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, 
and Listen Axe Grind podcast. <laughs>